Good evening, good evening, and let me be probably the last to say Happy New Year to you, and greetings from sunny Roswell, New Mexico. Tonight is January 13th, not to mention my mom's birthday. Happy birthday to you. And anyway, after a while of some classic reruns and technical difficulties and scheduling whoopsies, this is my first live broadcast of the new year. So two weeks into the year, I hope everyone's still eating better, going to the gym, being nicer to people, and just generally loving your neighbors better than ever this 2008. Now, if your New Year's resolution was to send me money, you've blown it so far, though. But my P.O. Box is published at the very bottom of www.livefromroswell.com, and that's where you to get go to get all of tonight's show programming. If for some reason that was on your list of resolutions, you can find my address there. I also accept gift cards, because we all know based on this year's marketing bombardments, gift cards make the perfect gift. And yes, there's both a Target and a Walmart, even here in Roswell, New Mexico, a town of barely 50,000 people, most of them human. Speaking of Roswell and our hometown pride, by the way, I don't know how many of you got your paranormal bottoms out of the bed early enough to watch the Rose Bowl parade on New Year's Day this year, but your favorite four-corner state had a float in the event. Not only did we have a float, New Mexico had an award-winning float. Just a couple hours ago, I posted a picture of that award-winning float for you on that award-winning website, livefromroswell.com, along with a link to the Roswell Daily Record story reporting the details of how our float actually won the Rose Bowls Parade's Award for Excellence in Creative Design. Pretty cool. Go online and check that out. There's a picture right under the bio information for tonight's guest, Michal Ledwith, whom we'll be speaking to uh, after I get done rambling a bit. But the luck of the Irish is with us tonight, as Michal, originally from Ireland, is the co-author of the book The Orb Project. And he also appears prominently in the DVD movie Orbs, The Veil is Lifting. From a promo they've got on that project, it says, Chances are you've seen one. A digital photo with what appears to be one or many balls of light. Are they dust particles, water droplets, lens flare, or something more? In the Orb Project, two leading experts in the study of the Orb phenomena combine their knowledge and expertise and seemingly reach the same conclusion, that orbs are messengers from the beyond. So that's who we'll be talking to tonight on LiveFromRoswell.com, along with Michal's link and his bio information. You'll see some Amazon links to the book and the DVD. If after hearing from him tonight you want to pop down some e-cash and learn more details about orbs, and I can tell you because I have a copy that the book is loaded with photos, by the way. But one more thing about this being a new year, by the way, and this is a promotional note from our sponsor, AlienResistance.org. The fact that this is now 2008 means that those conference lecture DVDs from this summer's UFO festival are now officially old news. And to celebrate, we've published a very special available only to Live from Roswell listeners. It's on livefromroswell.com, the 11-disc collection of DVDs containing over 30 audio-video lectures from the July 2007 UFO conference, including one or two by myself and this program's producer, Joe Montaldo. Those are marked down to just $49, and that's $30 off the original price of $79 that is still posted on roswellufoconference.com. But go to the Live from Roswell, or go to the conference site, and you'll pay $79 for the set. 
but go to livefromroswell.com and you'll see a PayPal button that allows you to purchase the complete collection at $30 less for the exact same product. All 11 discs for just $49 instead of $79. That's a New Year's special brought to you by this program's sponsor, alienresistance.org. So just to review, there's several reasons for you to visit Live from Roswell tonight. You can do it right now or at least during the breaks. You can see a picture of New Mexico's award-winning float. You can follow links to our featured guest's book and DVD on orbs. You can MySpace me a friend request. You can purchase the Roswell UFO Conference DVDs at $30 off the regular price, and you can get my real mailing address to send me gifts. How cool. And for that matter, you can hop on a very newly formed bandwagon, and you can use my address to send me death threats, too. No kidding. I received two in just the last month or so. One of them was, I'd say, rather thinly veiled. It's a postcard someone sent me with a list of scriptures on them that talk about being put to death, and they all added up to this guy's feelings that I seem to qualify. I just love it when psychos use the Bible to promote something psycho. And another death threat via email came to me, and it was more than a little more forthright about what they were saying. So before I bring on tonight's guest, Michal Ledwith, I'm going to read it to you solely for your amusement's sake. Not entirely for amusement, although I do think that emails from cranks does sometimes make for good radio, but also kind of as a public service announcement, because this email, it sounds similar to some Nigerian email money scam, although I googled the content and the names involved, and I went on Snopes.com, and so far I can't find anything about it that would lead me to think this is a common scam. So it seems that I have a fairly original death threat scam here on my hands. But here's the letter I received by email, which I'm going to read to you, from Alessandra Whitaker with a long email address, fgcu.edu, also foxjames at myway.com. The subject of the message is message from Fox James. It says, how are you? I am very sorry for you, my friend. It is a pity that this is how your life is going to end as soon as you don't comply. As you can see, there is no need of introducing myself to you because I don't have any business with you. My duty as I am mailing you now is just to kill, assassinate you, and I have to do it as I have already been paid for that. Someone you call a friend wants you dead, by all means. Actually, that is not surprising to me. And the person have spent a lot of money on this. The person also came to us and told me that he want you dead, and he provided us with your name, picture, and other necessary informations we needed about you. So I sent my boys to track you down, and they have carried out the necessary investigation needed for the operation on you. And they have done that, but I told them not to kill you, that I would like to contact you and see if your life is important to you or not, since their findings shows that you are innocent. I called my client back and asked him of you email address, which I did not tell him what I wanted, and he gave it to me. I am using it to contact you now. As I am writing to you, my men are monitoring you, and they are telling me everything about you. Now, do you want to, all caps, live or die, as someone has paid us to kill you? Get back to me now if you are not ready to pay some fees to spare your life. If you are not ready for my help, then I will carry on with my job straight up. All caps for the rest of the email. Warning, do not think of contacting the police or even any, even tell anyone because I will know. Remember, someone who knows you very well wants you dead. Do not come out once it is 7.30 p.m. until I make out time to see you. 
and give you the tape of my discussion with the person who want you dead after you have complied with my demands. Then you can use it to take any legal action. Good luck as I await your reply. Regards, Fox James. Okay. I do want you to know that this came a week ago. It's dated January 6th, and not only have I left the house once or twice since 7.30 p.m. last Sunday, I'm also not dead. So mainly I wanted to read it aloud. Uh, so just in case any listeners ever receive something like this, I want you to know that it's probably a fake. Had I replied to the guy, I'm sure I would have been directed where in Nigeria to send a few thousand dollars to get the hit called off. But honestly, since I'd never seen anything like this as an email scam, and I couldn't find anything about it online by Googling all the relevant terms and names, I did choose to share it with you just so that in case you receive something similar, you can probably rest easy. I'm just alerting you on the next generation of email scams. But I did report this, however, in a very serious way, as death threats by email are a federal offense, that's hint, hint, hint to anyone else who wants to pull another stunt like that on me, that I will report it. And I also looked up the name the email came from, Alessandra Whitaker, and while there were no death threat, death threat scams affiliated with her name or email address, I did get a match for telephone scams relating to bilking people out of their money. So anyways, people, just wanted you to be able to rest easy in case some idiot gets your email address and tries to pull something like that on you. That's just my little public service announcement for the new year. We'll get on with the program otherwise with that out of the way. And if at any time you want to interact or pose a question to tonight's guest, Michal Ledwit, you can either call in live on our toll-free number, which is 1-877-786-0562, and we'll put you on with Michal, or you can send me an email to talk to me, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com, and I'll read it aloud. And I do appreciate it when you include a first name at minimum and the city you're writing from when you email. I constantly refresh that email address throughout the program. And, of course, listeners in our virtual auditorium can always put their hand up via the Pal Talk system, and they can jump right in live with us for a minute or two. So feel free. Get involved so that the burden of keeping Michal's brilliant mind doesn't fall entirely on me. We've got to keep him occupied and entertained just like you. And I already do have three questions lined up for our guest, by the way. They are replies to a bulletin I put out on MySpace today. So I think quite a few people are both familiar with this orb phenomenon we'll be discussing about tonight, as well as interested in learning a little more about it. So my guest tonight is here to answer the question, is it your camera or is it proof that spirits do exist? From his bio, uh, Michal Ledwith, DD, LLD, was a professor of systematic theology for 16 years at Maynooth College in Ireland and subsequently the university's president for 10 years. He has served as a member of the International Theological Commission and as chairman of the Committee of the Heads of the Irish Universities. He was recently featured in the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? And Ledwith also appears with co-author Claus Heinemann, Ph.D., in the DVD, Orbs, The Veil is Lifting, which brings together scientists, spiritual teachers, and experts to explore the orb phenomena. Orbs open the conversation by addressing, addressing questions about the possibility of what exists in the unseen. That's a mouthful. Me, I hope I haven't left you hanging too long on the line here. Welcome to our program tonight. Thank you, Guy. It's been scintillating. I mean, I've enjoyed it enormously. You've really made it now. You're being uh, threatened by death on all sides. 
Yes, that's when you you'll know that you've arrived, also, sir. <laughs> being ignored. Yeah, yeah, that was my high school days. <laughs> now, uh, you from the bio, and obviously from your accent, uh, you're not from around here, correct? Well, I lived here in in uh, the Pacific Northwest for I think it's about 15 years now. So I'm from nowhere now. In Ireland, I'm a, a Yank, and of course here I'm a foreigner. Oh, no, no, no. Now, Pacific Northwest, I've found, are you in a large city? It's pretty progressive up there. That's Bellingham, Seattle area, I yes, think, from I'm, your area code. I'm uh, between Seattle and Olympia, the capital. But I'm living out in a little town called Tenino, so all the death threats guys can uh, know exactly where I'm located. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, maybe you'll get lucky and get one sent to you after tonight's program. I don't know how controversial you, you intend on being. <laughs> well, I don't know either. <laughs> So uh, I remember a lot of people in our audience are probably very familiar with um, the movie you appeared in, What the Bleep Do We Know? Um, were you in that uh, simply to discuss orbs and perception? No, I, I wasn't in that in, in any way, shape, or form related to orbs or indeed in the sequel, uh, Down the Rabbit Hole. So I was, of course, uh, I'm professionally a theologian, and I was basically dealing with the issues that uh, faced me, which is you know, one, one quotation from Jesus, uh, that always struck me when I was a professor of theology, but I was for 15 or 20 years, is, you know, he said, if you practice these teachings that I'm giving you, basically, you will do all the wonders that I do, and more indeed than these that you do, and you know, it, it seemed to me very obvious that this was not happening, but obviously something was going on somewhere. So I pro I'm producing a series of DVDs, and I did one on Jesus, uh, how he became a Christ you know, dealt with his life in Egypt, India, and Tibet, and so forth. So it was that line of country I was dealing with in what the bleep do we know and down the rabbit hole rather than all. And down the rabbit hole is the sequel to what the bleep do we know, not to orbs, correct? Yes, it's nothing to do with orbs either. No, it's a much more in-depth and, much, in, to my mind, much more worthwhile movie than what the bleep do we know. But anyway, there you go. So uh, how and where, or how did you get discovered, discover orbs or get involved with that? Well, I first heard of the phenomenon of orbs, even though I've taken pictures of orbs, you know, 20, 25 years ago myself. But when I looked at those pictures, which were, of course, on ordinary film cameras in those years, uh, I thought they were due to some problems with the camera mechanism or to uh, faulty processing or whatever. But then when when point-and-shoot digital cameras became common maybe a decade or so ago, obviously the incidence of orbs increased enormously. And the reason, of course, for that guy is very simple because a, a digital camera is sensitive not alone to the visible light that you and I see with our eyes, mm -hmm. but it's also sensitive to a small band of the frequency of light just below visible light, which is infrared. It's also sensitive to a tiny, tiny piece of the ultraviolet band, which is just above the visible light. So obviously, it, it seems from all of our investigations that orbs are first seen, not only seen there, but are first seen through a digital camera, and they usually seem to be in the high infrared band. So obviously, the number of all pictures since digital cameras became common has increased enormously. I first heard about orbs and what they were from uh, my own teacher, Rampus School of Ancient Wisdom, 
Dante gave a huge uh, teaching, I suppose about six, six, seven years ago, on what orbs were and their meaning and so forth. And since that time, I started out uh, photographing orbs uh, practically every day. And as a result, as someone kindly said at the launch of our book in New York there last month, uh, that I'm probably the largest collection of art pictures in the world. I don't know if that's true or not. I have about 150,000 images, however. That you've personally taken, 150,000? Yeah, personally taken, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are these of, things... A lot of people, you know, every day since the book came out especially, send me, uh, you know, their own pictures and ask for a comment on them, and obviously anyone who's listening to the program is very welcome to do that as well. Um, I've talked on Orbs Guy uh, all over the world, in South America, uh, obviously all over North America, all over Europe, uh, Hong Kong, Japan, Australia, and everywhere I find the same reaction, you know, it's uh, basically largely one of enthusiasm. You know, I, I, uh, I was on breakfast television down in Portland, Oregon here a couple of weeks ago, and two interviewers, it was live. They said, you know, we're a bit skeptical, and I said, well, I'm, I was or am more skeptical than both of you put together. <laughs> and, you know, I have looked at this really soberly, seriously, objectively, and I think I'm saying, you know, it's not out of euphoria or, or uh, you know, going on to cloud nine. I, I'm convinced that what, I, what I've looked at here is, is true. So you came into it at least as skeptical as the average person? Well, more, I would say. You know, as a theologian, you have to be extremely skeptical because there's so much uh, fanaticism, superstition, exaggeration, sentimentality, and all this stuff going around. And if you really want to find out something that is true and tried, you have to, you have to be very skeptical in order to cut away the, the dross and see where the real core lies, where's the meat, in other words. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little more about your background, then, that, uh, and how you went from being a university theologian to the projects you're working on now? Well, I uh, I was ordained a Catholic priest in 1967, probably before you were born. And I was an academic all my life, so I, was, I never served in a parish except, you know, doing holiday duty or whatever. But oh. obviously my whole intent uh, during all of those years was, uh, as I've often put it, answering those four great questions I think that everybody has to answer, whether they're atheist or agnostic or skeptic or firm believer or fundamentalist or whatever. And the four questions are, you know, who the heck am I? Am I just this physical body Uh, and nothing more? Where did I come from? Did I pop in here unannounced, out of the blue, you know, when I was conceived in in my mother's womb? Uh, what should I do while I'm here? Am I, am I supposed to observe 10 rules if I'm in, in uh, Christianity, or 538 if I'm in Judaism, or 721 if I'm a Muslim? Or is there more to it than that? Is there more to it than obeying rules and getting a, a credit or a negative score uh, on God's computer? And where will I go after I die? Uh, so, you know, where, where was I before I was born? Where am I after I die? What do I do while I'm here? And what actually am I? Am I just this physical body? These were questions that said that everyone, irrespective of what uh, their label may be, is trying to answer. 
trying to answer in one way or another. So in some senses, you know, the, the jump from where I was as a Catholic theologian for many years, and I was even a member of the International Theological Commission, which is advising the Holy See, the Vatican, on theology. I was a member of that commission for 17 years. But it might seem a, a strange jump, you know, from there to where I am now, but actually it's, it's quite logical because where I am now was basically taken up as a, as a result of my quest to know the truth behind all of these matters. Because I think all of us are um, imprisoned in certain ways of thinking. You, know, you I'm sure you're on your program mm-hmm. find that very, very frequently. But I, I think my, my website is called hamburgeruniverse.com and it's a humorous image of the way we're all imprisoned because I remember about probably 15 years ago I was giving a talk to a, a huge audience of people and I was talking about these mindsets that keep us crippled, that keep us away from getting that power and strength which Jesus talked about, which was everyone's birthright. And I said, here we are in the middle, I drew the earth, you know, a sort of flat place, and above it I drew an ark for the vault of the heavens, for God and the angels and the saints, and all our dear departed are waiting for us when we die and pass through immigration, and cash in our spiritual credits, and so forth, to a heavenly currency. And then down below we've got another vault, which is the, the, the abode of Satan, with the appropriate hot hells and cold hells. You've ever noticed, I suppose, in history, the religions that began in warm places have hot hells, and the religions that originated in cold places have freezing hells. So when I had drawn this on the board, I said to myself, my goodness, that looks like a hamburger. And anyway, I, some gifted person uh, elaborated on my poor artwork, and uh, my website is hamburgeruniverse.com for better Okay. So, so we're down to the last minute before we take a quick commercial break. I just wanted to ask before we come back, um, are you still on good terms with, uh, I guess, the parishes? Or are you still practicing as a Catholic priest? That would be an exaggeration to say I was on good terms. Obviously, you know, saying <laughs> doing the things that, that I'm doing now has not pleased everyone, to put it very mildly. Okay, yeah, I've been there, done that. Uh, we're going to go away for just a little bit of music and a, a couple commercials. We'll be back in about four or five minutes, and we'll pick up with... Um, telling us about hamburgeruniverse.com and how you are not still on good terms with your former parishes, okay? And Joe's going to take us into a break right now. We'll be back with Michal Ledwith here in just a couple moments. Welcome back to Live from Roswell, livefromroswell.com. I'm your host, Guy Malone, broadcasting globally on the Paranormal Radio Network. We're still at the very beginning of our conversation with Michal Ledwith, an expert on orbs, those things that occasionally show up in your digital pictures. Uh, Michal is the co-author of the book, The Orb Project, and also appears prominently in the DVD movie, Orbs, The Veil is Lifting. More information on the book and DVD are available to you right now, January 13th, at livefromroswell.com. And you can join in the fun by calling us right now, toll-free, with a question from Hall at 877-786-0562, or send me your question via email at talktome at livefromroswell.com. 
And Michal, we were talking about your background, uh, how you were formerly a Catholic priest and a university theologian, and then uh, began pursuing other interests. And I was asking, are you still on good terms with uh, the parishes and the priesthood? Well, I'm on good terms, but they're not on good terms with me. I, uh-uh. I, I have never set out to abolish or attack or anything. I'm just pointing out that I think the business of the religions, whatever religion you belong to, whether it's um, the East or the West, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, whatever, they're all supposed to be forwarding our eternal destiny. And it seemed to me that many of the things that were going on were actually not alone not forwarding our destiny, but were making sure that, that we wouldn't ever avail of the power and the abilities that Jesus Christ uh, spoke about so, so powerfully. I mean, I'm bringing out my own DVD in about three weeks' time, which is called Or Clues to a More Exciting Universe. And in that DVD, I'm analyzing some of the implications of the Orb phenomenon for some of the very fundamental beliefs that, that we all treasure so deeply, like, you know, what happens to me after death. You know, is uh, everything that my loved ones were, is that irretrievably lost at death? Or will we meet again? And if so, will it be in the mawkish and sentimental way that so many of the religions portray? Or is the art phenomenon telling us something much more wonderful and valuable about that? And as I mentioned earlier, you know, where did I come from? Did I exist before I was born here? Or did I simply spring into existence when I was conceived? If I did exist before, obviously then the issues that I'm trying to grapple with here are dictated by the previous existences. And if I don't know that, you know, I'm really behind the eighth ball. I'm just at an enormous disadvantage because no one has ever taught me this. What should I be doing while I'm here? I mean, am I just obeying rules slavishly and getting a good score on God's computer on my website? You can see... God looking down from above onto the earth with his telescope and a laptop instead of the book of life. It moves at the time. And depending on the score, at the end of my life, I'm going to either go up and sit on a, a cloud for all eternity playing a harp or a trumpet, the only instruments I hear in, of in heaven, or I'm going to go down below to be punished. I mean, some of these images that we've cherished for, for so long, and I, I absolutely understand that these images, you know, naive though they may be, are really touching on something very fundamental in the human heart. In other words, that everything I am is not irretrievably lost at death, and those that I know and love, that I, that I will meet them again, and so forth. So I realize that, but I think we've sold ourselves short in the history of many religions because of the images uh, that we, you know, attribute to things in, in the afterlife or the prior life and what we should be actually doing while we're here. And I think, uh, you know, the investigations we've done into the orb phenomenon, I outline in the book and perhaps to a greater extent in, in my new DVD, which is coming out at the International Book Fair in Orlando, Florida, on the 26th, 28th of uh, this month, that many of the basic beliefs we have about what is spirit, anyway, what is the soul, you know, what happens to me in these situations, we need to redefine them very radically. And we have a marvelous new source of information now. If we study the orb phenomenon, 
and their frequencies and the realms that they may belong to, as I explain in detail in the book. And we can give content and meaning to those beliefs that matter so much to us. Uh, for the first time, I think, in human history, we have now an access to that. And, you know, there have been, if you look back, as I was a historian uh, for many years as well, we look back on human history, and we see so many things that really changed the way we thought about ourselves and about the entire universe. And that at first, it was thought that these matters were threats to precious beliefs, and it didn't take too long until we discovered it was the opposite. I mean, the obvious example would be that the Earth is round, that the Earth is not at the center of the solar system. The discovery that disease and so forth is not due to demons, but due to germs and microbes and bacteria, etc. All, all these beliefs have changed the way that we think about human history and our involvement in the universe. And I think the orb phenomenon, which is only in its infancy, in terms of us being aware of it, is also going to bring a monumental change into the way we not alone think about ourselves, but about the whole way in which we relate to the rest of the universe. I mean, Before you describe a lot of <clears throat> how your views changed or, or what the orbs um, seem to be leading you to, uh, I just want to back up and ask the obvious skeptical question that I know you deal with all the time in doing this, um, in speaking and writing in a book, is, is what do you say to the skeptics who just simply try to explain that the orbs are dust or they're water or a reflection of, of light taken on the camera? Right. Well, I mean, I perfectly understand that question, Guy. I mean, I ask all those questions myself. I'm sure. <laughs> and, and in a way, you know, I would be disappointed if people didn't pose those questions because we don't want to lead anyone down the garden path. We want to be sure that we're, you know, on the, the straight and narrow and objective truth here. So I would say to that, and it's explained, I think, in fair detail in the book, that uh, that was initially my reaction. And the family of views that, that tries to explain away the orb phenomenon is largely that they're due to dust particles. Uh, secondly, they're due to pollen particles. Say if you're walking in a meadow or a lawn in the summertime, the pollen particles come up, mm. and these can be photographed. Or they're due to raindrops being photographed. Now, let me say very briefly that I, I very much sympathize with people who propose that, but I can assure you as a result of our investigations, we, we know that there are such phenomena that are false or pictures, in other words. But it is very easy to tell a false or image from a true image. And what I would say further is this. Say you have somebody standing 10 feet away from the camera and you see an orb that's partially obscured by that person's head. Now, a dust particle or a pollen particle or a raindrop, if it's more than a couple of feet from the camera, you really cannot pick it up. It's only when they're really close up that they can in any Like on your lens, perhaps? Your lens, yes. They, they'd have to be very close to uh, constitute what would look like an orb. So if someone's head is obscuring an orb 10 or 20 feet away, Obviously, that couldn't in any shape, way, or form be due to pollen or dust particles or rain. However, there are hosts of false orb pictures around. I did not go into this in the book. I've gone into it extensively in the DVD that's coming out, Orbs Clues to a More Exciting Universe. And I think that most of them are due to 
two categories in particular. One is lens flare, or what I call lens flare. In other words, a bright object, whether that be the sun, the moon on a dark night, or a street lamp, or even a, a, a candle even in a darkened room can do it. The candle or the sun or the moon is not actually in the viewfinder of the camera, but the light from the bright object, bright I mean in comparison to the surrounding areas, that can come into the camera lens, it can zigzag down the lens and then hit your plate that records the image at the bottom and it can leave a string of, uh, or a sequence of round images that are basically nothing other than the pictures of the lens down which the light has come. And they look really like orbs. If, if you're not, uh, you know, a bit skilled in it, you think you've captured enormously beautiful orb pictures, but of course it's not. They're, they're just due to problems with, with your skill as a photographer and some camera mechanisms. There's another uh, very common uh, mistake that you can make, and as I said on my website, I literally every day from all over the world I get the pictures that people send me in uh, for a comment as to what this is or what that might be. Some people think they've captured fairies flying around. Some people think that they've captured messages, messages from long-dead Egyptian pharaohs, etc. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sometimes very sad when I have to say, no, this is not a message from a dead pharaoh or even a live one. Uh, if, yeah. you, if, you, um, if you're taking a picture, say, at nighttime in an ordinary room with, with average illumination, which, of course, is quite dim in, in relationship to daytime illumination, and if you pressure digital camera uh, button, you know, the shutter will not close when you lift up your, your finger, because the camera is designed to capture as much light as it can. So if the light is dim, the shutter will stay open. And if you're not careful, and you drop your camera, or move your camera around, or swivel it around, the lens will still be open. And on top of the original picture, say people sitting at a table, I have some excellent examples of these in my DVD, people sitting at the table will be there. But then if you have a few candles on the table, the, the camera swirling around will have generated on the plate the tracking of where that bright object in your picture was. So you'll get all sorts of circles and mysterious symbols in that, which is due to nothing more than the fact that you're jerking the camera around when, uh, when, when you're taking the picture. I have an excellent picture of the Palace of Lahore in India, which a friend sent to me. And, uh, you know, it looks like something absolutely phenomenal is happening in this palace in Lahore. Uh, because the whole outline of the building is illuminated with lamps. And the picture that was taken is, first of all, the palace without anything moving, just illuminated brightly at night. And then in the next picture, you see marvelous streaks of light going up into the heavens from the palace. It's nothing more than that you move the camera. And thirdly, if, uh, you know, the first is lens flare, the second is streaking, as I call it, when you move the camera while the shutter is still open. And the third major problem is uh, when you capture a flying insect. You know, it can very often look like a fairy. And, you know, it's really heartbreaking to say to someone, no, this is not a fairy, it's only a flying insect. But, so, in other words, to summarize, Guy, you know, I don't think that, that most of the problems come from dust, pollen, or raindrops. There are false images that can come from those but they're easily uh, distinguished from genuine or the orb images. 
blur. Most of the orb images, I think, that look like alien spacecraft or dramatic pictures or angels flying around or messages from long dead people, etc., they're due to, to uh, other considerations that have all to do with camera mechanisms and faulty techniques. But that being said, the vast preponderances of images that are out there are genuine. But you can, uh, if I or someone sends you an image, you feel you're both uh, trained enough and skeptical enough to where you'll just give them an honest answer to where you think it's uh, it's something else. You're not, like, saying every little image you see is truly an orb. No, but uh, I think most uh, most images that people will get uh, are probably orbs because they're being seen more and more and more, uh, uh, you know, as time is passing. I, I can tell you, for example, that when I was involved in this uh, business, say, for the first time about six years ago, it was relatively rare for people to find orbs in their pictures then. But somehow or another, you know, the whole uh, morphogenetic field of the world has changed. And now uh, orbs are appearing, you know, spectacular and genuine orb pictures are appearing in abundance everywhere, even from people who know nothing at all about them. So it's highly likely if someone does take the trouble to send me a picture or any number of pictures they want to, uh, it's highly likely that the pictures are genuine. And sometimes I'm able to offer you know, some assistance or information as to what exactly this image signifies. How might, I, how might I know if I, if I have an orb photo? How might I know that the picture in the orb is authentic? Is there anything particular that I or a listener can actually look for? on their own before they even send it to you? Yes, yes there is. Uh, I mean, there are various uh, kinds of orb manifestation. I, I go over these in the DVD, and I think also in the book to a lesser degree perhaps, because in the book what we were concerned to do was to put down the basic hard and fast core of knowledge about orbs. And I think my greatest discovery about orbs, which is I think the path along which future investigations will go, and we're only in its infancy yet. I postulated in the book, and I'm more and more convinced of it since then, that when, say, say you or I take off a camera, and we take a picture of a family group, or a person, or your dog, your cat, your horse, or your house, whatever, <laughs> at night, and uh, the light from the camera flash bounces off the object in the picture, whether they're trees or houses or people. And the light's reflected back into my digital camera, down the lens, and is recorded on the LCD plate, which is what it says to film in a digital camera. Now, that is not how orbs are photographed. And this, I think, was my major insight, my major discovery. Because I think what happens with orbs is that the light from the camera flash, which is photons, light particles, they strike the orb. Immediately the photons, once they strike the orb, they turn into electrons. Now here we have a major insight into orbs straight away. They're not ethereal uh, ectoplasm type structures. They do have electrons in them, albeit they're physical, but albeit of a much higher form of physics than you or I are normally familiar with. But anyway, at the same physics, that light striking the orb turns the photons into electrons spins the electrons of the orb up to a higher shelf. So the orb is like a balloon being inflated. Once, it, once the light strikes it, 
and you get all these new electrons coming into the orb. The orb swells up a little bit as if you were inflating a balloon. Now, when the camera flash stops, which, of course, lasts only a millisecond, the stimulus is gone. The orb tends to shrink back to close to its original size. It slightly stays slightly larger. And, of course, there's no room for those surplus electrons anymore. So the orb has to spit those out. Excuse me. And when the orb does that, those electrons then turn back into photons of light, and it's that light that comes back into the camera. So in other words, in orb photography, the way that ordinary objects like you and me or houses, cattle, dogs, and trees, the way that that ordinary field of objects is recorded is by reflected light. Now, light does not reflect off orbs. It comes through this convoluted process I've just described which is known in physics as fluorescence. So the fluorescent light from the orb comes back slightly later than the ordinary light. And that, of course, can tell us a huge amount about what an orb actually is and the realms, the dimensions of existence that it belongs to because the color of the light uh, in, in fluorescence is an, an enormously valuable tool in physics to tell you something of the makeup of the object from which the light comes. So if I have a blue orb, or a golden-colored orb, or an infrared-colored orb, I can tell what dimension of existence that particular object comes from. So if you find that uh, your original question, and this is a rather long answer to your short question, yeah. I apologize for that, but it's necessary to set a background. But how, what, what is it that will tell you that you have a genuine picture? First of all, if you get these colors, the, the major colors that come up time and time again are a dull red, infrared, ultraviolet, blue, and gold color. Those are the three major colors. If you're getting orbs in those colors, that's the first clue that the orb picture you have is genuine. Now, if you can get up close enough to an orb to photograph it, you will see around the uh, circumference of the orb concentric circles, like as if someone took a compass, you know, and drew a set of circles. The genuine orbs usually have concentric circles inside the outer band of the sphere. And they also have bumps and hollows and identifying marks in them. That is absolutely a genuine orb if you get that kind of picture. And concentric circles? We see many of them? The outside, and then there's a pattern of bumps and so forth, you know, inside that can identify an individual orb. So you will know if the same individual is coming back night after night, which I think nearly always happens. Certainly happened with me and most people that I've stayed in, in uh, frequent contact with vouch for the same thing. The same orb, orbs keep turning up, you know, from one session to the next, to the next, to the next. So th if you see those characteristics, first of all, the colors. Secondly, this, the rings around the circumference. And thirdly, the bumps that, that may be constant from one photographic session to another. I think you can be absolutely certain that's a genuine orb. And what, uh, what kind of sign might I know that it's just a dust particle or something similar like well, you were you saying? Get, if you get just a, a circular picture, you know, a sort of blurry, undifferentiated, blobbish type thing, that can, that's very possibly due to something else, most likely lens flare. I think most of the false orb pictures are not due to dust or pollen or raindrops. 
there's just a lens there. But if you are careful when you're taking your pictures not to have another bright object, you know, close to your field of view, you can avoid lens flare extremely easily. Now there's another phenomenon that I've discovered. If you make sure that you're you're not having lens flare or anything else, there's another phenomenon I discovered which is extremely interesting. And this is really closely related to quantum physics. Now as we know, in quantum physics, if the observer observes the energy in the quantum field, that energy collapses into particles of matter, right? So and it changes the observed, it, it correct? It changes the observed and it now becomes a reality. In other words, if I'm, a, if I'm a, a bleeding heart victim and I feel everyone's out to get me, I am collapsing the quantum field into more of those experiences for myself. I mean, it's coming barreling down the, the realms of frequency right towards me. And, you know, everyone blames everyone else for this. And the, the most sobering moment for any of us must surely be the awful day, the depths of the dark night of the soul, when I realize that I've produced everything that's in my life myself. I mean, that's surely the depths of the dark night of the soul. But it's also the first day of our liberation because I know, heck, if I produce all this garbage that's making a misery of my life, I can unproduce it too. I can change it. So it's also the first day of our liberation. But say I am focusing on something. Uh, I, I spoke about this actually in What the Leap, do we know? Because mm -hmm. I said when, when most people, you know how much uh, stuff there's been about positive thinking, you know, in our own time in the last 20, 30 years. But most people's positive thinking is nothing more, Guy, than a thin smear of... Than a what? A thin smear. You know, you butter toast in the morning? Uh-huh. Smear the butter across your toast. Now, positive thinking is usually just a thin smear of positive thinking covering up a boiling cauldron of negative thinking underneath it. In other words, we're whistling past the graveyard. We think we have totally embraced positive thought, but it's only a thin veneer on top of it. And of mm. course, what's going to manifest is what's occupying most of my consciousness underneath it. But however, my point of this uh, discussion is that if you focus on something in the quantum field, which in the electromagnetic spectrum would be the sixth plane of reality, there are seven planes of reality, should be familiar to. Ooh, we're down to one minute before we uh, take All a break. Right. They do come okay. up quick. I don't know if we can cover seven spheres in that amount of time. <laughs> well, Let me go ahead and actually, um, Joe will uh, flip us over to some music and a commercial here in a second, and we're going to do a little sound change to improve some quality here, because I got a, or audio quality, because I got a comment on how uh, you were coming through. But um, when we come back right now, we have Michal Ledwith who's co-author of The Orb Project and appears on the DVD, The Orbs, The Orbs, The Veil is Lifting. And you can join in the conversation by calling us live at the number on livefromroswell.com. And when we come back, I've got four emails stacked up for you. Uh, talk to me at Live from Roswell. We're going to come back after the top of the hour here with some viewer questions that, uh, that will be posed to you. Is that all right, sir? Okay. All right, we'll be back after a couple commercials and a song. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back soon.
<laughs> Michal, I'm going to hang up and switch telephones. Okay. And Joe is going to call me right back. He'll have us connected, but this break is about eight minutes long. Oh, okay. Now, do you want me to stay on to do a sound check? Yes, yeah, stay on and just let... Uh, what he's going to do is put me on a different phone that he knows doesn't come through as loud. That way he can crank us both up. Oh, the I phone see. I'm on now, the phone I'm on now comes on very loud.
welcome back to the final segment of Live from Roswell, livefromroswell.com. I'm your host, Guy Malone, broadcasting globally on the Paranormal Radio Network. In two weeks, I'll have as my guest Eric Hovine discussing modern-day dinosaurs, reports from around the globe of animals thought to be extinct millions of years ago <clears throat> that just haven't been paying attention to evolutionary theory. That's January 27th to talk about modern di- dinosaurs with Eric Hovine. Next week, I'm not sure who our main guest will be, but I think I'll have Brian Temmer from the Alien Apex Amusement Park on for a few minutes at the top of the hour to tell you about this theme park that's being built here in sunny Roswell, New Mexico. 50,000 residents, most of them human, and many of them needing a job, which I think this park will provide. (laughs) We are coming back now with Michal Ledwith, co-author of the book The Orb Project, and also appears prominently in the DVD movie Orbs, The Veil is Lifted. More information on the book and DVD are available right now on livefromroswell.com. And we were discussing before this break how people might be able to see orbs with their naked eye rather than just from the pictures they take with their camera. Michael, I've got two more questions that have come by email, but please continue on and definitely finish that line of thought, if you will, sir. Right. Well, thanks so much, Guy. And if I may add to the, the DVDs, etc., that you listed, my forthcoming DVD, in, right. in, which is coming out on the 25th of January, which has a good bit of information on this precise topic, Orbs, Clues to a More Exciting Universe, which is about the reinterpretation of many of our very fundamental beliefs in a much more exciting and wonderful new paradigm. But anyway, to come back to... HamburgerUniverse.com, correct? HamburgerUniverse is my website, .com, yes. Got it. Uh, but anyway, to come back to... Uh, to your thing. You know, I've, I've uh, outlined in the last section, I can't believe we're in the fourth section already. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, in the last section I outlined that, you know, we all, are, we all are seeing orbs. You do not have to be a guru or, you know, an avatar or, or, or a, a saint or especially favored by God to see orbs. In the past that was the case. Now all you need is a simple digital camera. However, you also can see orbs with the naked eye, and when you do, and this is something that anyone can do, you will see them much more vividly, much more in color. You will see them moving. You asked me about the, uh, the movement of orbs and infrared cameras, etc., and I have a lot of those pictures. You will see them moving. You'll see them moving extremely fast, between 1,500 to 2,000 miles per hour. You will also see them moving very gracefully and smoothly, and they'll always be focusing on you because you're looking down into a vortex, a torsion vortex, which is the opposite of gravity. And they're basically the wormholes between the dimensions. So I cannot uh, recommend, I suppose, I can't recommend sufficiently to people that they would take up this. I was saying on the breakfast television in Portland last week, which I recommended uh, two weeks ago. What better thing for people who might be looking at breakfast television, usually soccer moms, etc., than with your children, you know, when they're home for the Christmas holidays or whatever, or at night, to take out your camera and go and photograph orbs. I mean, the children are so blown away and absolutely fascinated by this. And many children can already see them with the naked eyes. And many adults that I've come across, I mean, I have countless uh, letters on my website, hamburgeruniverse.com, of people who have always fortunately been able to see them. But however, 
Most of us do not without some preparation, and here's how you do it. As I said, you are already seeing the orb. Your eye is already seeing them. The image of the orb is already going onto the retina at the back of your eye. The reason why we don't see them consciously is because our brain is filtering them out. Now, if you can convince your brain that it's important to you to see these images and that these spheres that are looking at you out of your pictures are crucially important to you, eventually your brain is going to change and it's going to allow you to see them. And lo and behold, one fine day, as I did, you will be looking up there and suddenly you will see a magnificent blue orb floating in your field of vision. And if you were like me, on the, on the time that that first happened, it, for me it took about two years, I might say, which is, of course, a horror of horror stories for the instant gratification society. But uh, if, if you, that, that doesn't mean it will take two years for you, because things change, you know, as, as uh, acceptance and paradigms change. And our and listeners are much more intelligent than average, by the way. Yeah, you watch that again? Our listeners are much more intelligent of than Of course they are. I mean, I'm making a major mistake here. <laughs> Two months, tops. I'm making a major mistake. But if, if, uh, if you take, for instance, orb pictures every night, as I did, say half an hour or an hour or whatever, uh, that's nothing that a digital camera. It would be ruinous, obviously, financially, with a film camera. You will find after a while you've got the message across to your brain, and, of course, there are other techniques as well. And the brain will stop filtering them, and you will see them. Lo and behold, there they are floating in front of your eyes. You don't need the camera. And furthermore, the images that you will see uh, with your naked eye are much more vivid, much uh, I mean in color, than the images to the camera. And the reason for that, I think, is, say, if you have an orb that's coming from the X-ray frequency, which is just above infer, uh, ultraviolet, it has to lower its frequency down into uh, ultraviolet, then down into visible light, and then down into infrared. So it's got to come down three or four steps before the camera can capture it. Now, if you see the orb with your naked eye, you will see it in the X-ray frequency. In other words, in its home ground. And it will be much more beautifully and vividly colored when you do that. I think that's a wonderful state to see because not alone will you see orbs at that point, but you'll see a lot more stuff as well, which will help you in your everyday living. Now, you suggest if they are coming down a frequency or four to be seen, either by the naked eye or camera, that obviously suggests intelligence and the desire to be seen. Does Supreme intelligence. And, and desire to be seen. I mean, I could list for you... Uh, you know, 10 conditions that are favorable to photographing orbs. Let's say photographing for now. I would prefer people would see them. I could list it. But you know what? Basically, it boils down to the fact that the orbs will manifest themselves if they want to, and if they don't, it doesn't matter what conditions are present. I have pictures, and this is the ultimate refutation of the pollen, raindrops, and dust particle theory. I have pictures, numerous pictures, of, I take the first photograph, I have a wonderful picture, which is in the Orb DVD, Orbs, the uh, Clues to the More Exciting Universe, which I took in August two years ago. 
I was waiting for the, the blue moon of the dog star days, which is the days when the dog star Sirius was first visible above the plateau of Giza, where the Great Pyramid is in ancient Egypt. And I was waiting for the blue moon, the second moon of the month, on that night. And the moon came up, and I, uh, you know, remembering all those centuries of previous history, I had taken a glass of wine and I toasted to the moon, the Enchantress, and uh, I took an orb picture after it. I mean, I had made what I thought was an absolutely incredibly eloquent toast. And I took a picture and there was nothing. There was zilch except the moon. And I said, is there anyone there? I took another picture and the whole sky was full of multicolored orbs. It's in, it's in the DVD. And 10 seconds later, the third picture, the entire sky was empty again, except for the moon. Now, to my mind, of course, that immediately does away with, as Martin Luther used to say, wagon loads of trifling about dust and pollen and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, and because orbs are real, and if they want to be seen, they will show themselves, and if they don't, they won't. Uh, the fact that people are seeing them with their naked eye, I do have another email, and I'm glad I saved it for last. You may have already answered this question. Um, it says, I have seen two orbs, one with my eyes, not by camera. They were as big as a kickball and had smaller ones inside of them moving around inside the big one, and each smaller ball were different pastel colors. I've been told that these are very rare. Can you tell me anything about them? That, who's, the, who's the caller? I uh, did not have a name on that. Okay, that that's fine. My space and Doesn't matter. It. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm Sorry, glad you know that. <laughs> that's a wonderful, a wonderful question. I'm so glad that you know that people are actually seeing them. Some people are seeing them without any effort, and they have always seen them. They've even seen them since they were children. I had a very skeptical interviewer a couple of weeks ago down from uh, Newport Beach in California, and uh, there were two interviewers and. They said, we're, we're really skeptical. And I said, well, you know, you, I'm, I'm glad you are, and I'm more skeptical than the two of you combined. This was not the previous case I referred to. It was another one. And then at the end of the program, one of the interviewers said, you know what, I have to confess, I've got to come out of the closet. I saw an orb with my naked eye when I was a child and saw it many times. So he said, now I'm out of the closet. Anyway, uh, now that's a wonderful thing that your listener or uh, your, your messenger has said. Uh, the thing to remember about that, if you see a major orb and you then see smaller orbs within it and they're different colors, remember that the color of the orb betrays, if you wish to use that word, the level of reality from which they come. In other words, if, if I get an infrared colored orb, or if I get an ultraviolet colored orb, or if I get a gold colored orb, those are colors that are resonating in the frequency of infrared or ultraviolet or x-ray respectively. And there's an electron voltage that can be measured to register each of those different frequencies of light. So not alone is this different colors of light coming, and remember my theory, which I explained back in the first segment tonight, which was that this is fluorescent light, and that fluorescence in physics is an extremely valuable analytical tool to determine the makeup of the source from which the light is coming. And that tells me that there is a realm, actually, not just light, 
but that there is a realm of infrared, there's a realm of ultraviolet, and there's a realm of X-ray. And what's more, that you and I couldn't exist down here on the bottom level, the seventh plane, unless we're already existing in those other planes. And that's why I use the image sometimes of the human person as an iceberg. What is it? We have one-seventh or one-eighth of it above the surface, which corresponds to the physical, and seven-eighths is below the surface. And that's the way you and I and all our listeners are on the face of this earth. And that's why we're in so much trouble on this planet right now, because we have lulled the part of us that's really the major and most significant part absolutely to sleep. And if we can't awaken that sleeping giant, which is existing in these other dimensions, then we're in trouble. And if we can awaken it, we can do all the miracles that Jesus spoke about in that phrase I quoted at the start of the program tonight and more. But, you know, we are living in seven dimensions right now, you and I, just not here on this program in the physical. We're also living in these other dimensions, and this is what the orb phenomenon has taught me. You know, I think that we are living, uh, Guy, in a trance of scarcity in this world right now. In other words, there's only so much to go around. And I've got to get it before the next guy gets it. And if I don't, I'm going to be left short. And I took an image in, in the new DVD of the Colorado River. That I know you're in New Mexico, so you're in a different region. But the yeah. Colorado River flows down to California, and the various towns tap into its resources. And by the time it gets to the Mexican border, there's practically nothing left of the river. That's the way we think of the universe. Now, what the orb phenomenon has taught me is that we're in an entirely different universe than that, which is all based on frequency, and that the natural state of the universe, as I explained in the DVD, is actually abundance. There is no limit to the supply, and the, the key to it is frequency. The orbs are separated from you and me only by frequency. We don't have to travel to Alpha Centauri or to the Pleiades or anywhere else. They're right here where we are. All we've got to do is shift the frequency and we're there. Likewise, if I want to attract into my orbit tonight abundance, radiant health, and beautiful person to share my life with, all I've got to do is get away from what I described in What the Bleed, which is this smear of positive thinking, and replace it with absolute acceptance and a change of frequency. And the, the quantum field has no option to manifest that for me. That's the key to everything that the orb phenomenon has told me. And your listener's question about the orb with the various colors within it orbiting is a profoundly uh, moving image of that reality. Because instead of the Colorado River flowing down to California and being drained off so that there's nothing left at the end, and that's how we think of the universe, the true picture of the universe, which in, in your uh, correspondence question, the true picture of the universe is a universe whose natural state is abundant. And if I tune into the frequency of that, the universe has no option but to produce abundance into my life. And, and I think the better analogy, which is very appropriate for tonight, is not the Colorado River, which is gradually being drained, the more people tune into it, but, a, say, a TV or a radio station, supposing one person tunes into a radio station tonight, 
the reception is perfect, or a TV station, the reception is perfect. If a million people tune in, the reception is undiminished, it's still perfect. If 10 million, or 10,000 million, or 10 billion people choose in, tune into that station, is the reception diminished? Not in the least. Now, that's a much more accurate insight into the universe that you and I inhabit. Now, go into this in great detail in, in the DVD, Orbs Goose to a More Exciting Universe, because, you know, here's the problem. We're convinced, we have convi we've hypnotized ourselves into a trance of scarcity. There's not enough to go around. Actually, the natural state is abundance, but the key to it is frequency. And if it's frequency, then we undermine permanently and irrevocably all of the negative uh, crippling attitudes that bedevil the problems of this world, like jealousy, hatred, anger, greed, competition, etc., etc., etc. If there's an abundance for everyone, obviously the ground is taken completely out from under the feet of these negative attitudes, which have crippled the world and brought it to the brink of extinction the way we are right now. And if we can shift to a realization of what the orbs have taught us, then I think we're opening up onto a marvelous new frontier. Because now we know that the, the key is not, you know, um, having compassion and love for people, which I'm all in favor of, and God knows the word needs it. But what I'm saying is that compassion and love cannot exist in the world that we're in except within the confines of the trance of scarcity. Have compassion for someone. They haven't as much as you have. Have love for them. They're unfortunate. You know, yeah, I'm down to the last uh, minute, minute and a half. Okay. I was going to throw out, since you brought it up, um, that scripture Michal quoted earlier is from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Look it up, and if you like, I've got one listener with a question that or Tom writes just to ask you about the orbs heard of anything being investigated at the Skinwalker Ranch in northern Utah? No, I have not. What was the name of that ranch? Skinwalker. Skinwalker. Yeah. No, um, I have not heard anything about that. But what I would suggest is that the major message of the orb phenomenon is not to construct a massive family photo album, as I have, 150,000 <laughs> images, but to take the lessons from it. I mean, if we took pictures and nothing else, we'd be like the physicians who invented the microscope and only took pictures of these microorganisms and didn't go on to treat disease and promote good human health. I'm thinking the major message of the art phenomenon is to realize we, and you and I, every one of us are living in a frequency-based universe. And until we can learn to change our frequency and realize we're the creators of our own reality, then we can undermine every negative and crippling attitude that bedevils this world at this time. That, for me, is the main message of the art phenomenon. Well, thanks for coming on and telling us a little bit about this tonight, Michal. Um, we're very close to being out of time, so I want to say thank you. And you can double-check Michal's website, Hamburger Universe, and more about the book on orbs and more about the DVD on orbs. It's all linked from livefromroswell.com where we do this every Sunday night, 7 to 9 if you're in the mountain time zone like I am, 6 to 9 if you're on the left coast where Mihal is, 9 to 11 p.m. if you're way over on the right coast. 
thank you very much for joining us tonight, Mihal. Um, I encourage people to double-check those websites. God bless. We'll talk to you next weekend. God bless you too, Guy, and thank you so much. It was a great honor to be with you and with your listeners tonight. Oh, likewise. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Take folks. care. This is Bye-bye. Guy Malone and Mihal Edwin saying good night. Good night. <laughs>